From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Millennials, millennials, millennials. Have you ever heard that term? Uh, That's what we're talking about today, how to lead millennials, how to sell to millennials. Of course, in order to do that, you're going to need to understand millennials. Uh, Have one of the uh, leading millennial thinkers in the world, Jason Dorsey, here on the show. Um, Definitely his firm, the Center for Generational Kinetics, is probably with, I mean, probably without a doubt, the leading research firm in the world on uh, millennial generation, and they do very, very in-depth, incredibly analytical national studies and uh, all the statistical and polling and sampling, qualitative and quantitative research, really, really powerful stuff. He's in the media all the time. But anyways, we're going to talk about, for you, what do you need to know about millennials to to lead them and sell to them? Because you're going to see that I had some massive insights uh, for myself that millennials, uh, they're not, we're just getting started with the millennial conversation because they're so big, there's so many of them, they're so dominant in the workforce, and uh, they, they control the spending dollar today, So, and they're going to for the next several years, so we need to know about them. Um, but then also, at the uh, after the interview with Jason, I'm going to share with you my five uh, biggest takeaways, some of them fairly radical about what I learned from him. Um, but also, one of the things we're going to talk about is the generation after millennials. So even though millennials are going to be here for a long while and are a major force, um, Jason's firm, uh, I happen to know, is doing a lot of research right now with Gen Z. Gen Z is what's coming after the millennials, and they have had some really mind-blowing discoveries about Generation Z, the generation after millennials. So we're going to talk about that and lots more. It's going to be very insightful. As always, thanks for being here. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. If you don't know him, he wrote his first best-selling book when he was 18 years old. Uh, was has been featured on the twenty on uh, uh, twenty twenty. What is it? It's a uh, six. 60 Minutes, 2020, The Today Show. He's been front page New York Times or the Center for Generational Kinetics has been front page New York Times, front page Washington Post. And he actually advises uh, multi-billion dollar acquisitions for companies. And he is on public boards um, uh, or on a public board for a very large company. And he's the president of the Center for Generational Kinetics, which is really the leading millennials research and strategy firm. And so he's just awesome. He's probably one of the smartest people that I know. And so Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here with you and great to meet everybody. 
So I want to talk about millennials. Um, first of all, you know, millennials has, has been a hot topic for years and years now. And, and it's it, there, you know, tell us, first of all, who, who are the millennials? I know you define them a little bit differently for most people. Yeah, right now about half people thought millennials, not another millennials speaker talk interview. But yes, we're going to give you some truth about millennials. So the reason people are tired of hearing about millennials, just to start there, is that we think they're going to grow out of it. Like, aren't we done with millennials yet? No, we're just getting older and more important. <laughs> and then at the same time, there's a massive misconception about who millennials are, what they mean for the workforce, what they mean for consumers, for driving spending and trends, what they mean for politics, I mean, you name it. And so in our work at the Center for Generational Kinetics, all we want to focus on is separating myth from truth. And we do that through data. We want to understand who are the millennials. Why does it matter? What if you are a millennial? What do you need to know? And so when we look at millennials in the United States, millennials were born roughly 1977 to 1995. Now, stop the presses there for a second. Some of you went, whoa, they're a little bit older than I thought. You're right. Because most people, when they hear the term millennials, they think, oh, 25-year-old pants are falling off. They live with their parents, you know, that whole kind of thing. But the truth is, the reason we have what we call millennial fatigue is that we've been talking about millennials for a long time, and millennials have grown up. Millennials are right now between the ages of about 22 and even up to age 39. And the key is, when it comes to the beginning of millennials around 1977 to 1980, you can be born anywhere in there and have all the characteristics of being a millennial or all the characteristics of being Gen X. Those are called cuspers. Now you hear the term zennials. Really, it's just people born on the cusp. And then what's really powerful, one of our big discoveries at our research center, is that you cannot be born, if you're a millennial, you cannot be born after 1995. And the reason is, you have to remember September the 11th, 2001. Now, that's a very U.S.-centric definition, but talking about millennials in the U.S. right now, when we look at 9-11, if you cannot remember 9-11, if you cannot remember it and have a strong emotional connection to it, you are not a millennial. You're actually in Generation Z, which hopefully we'll, we'll get to sneak peek here today, too. So that's interesting. Honestly, when you said the dates for millennials, my first thought was, holy crap, I'm a millennial. I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess I didn't really identify as being a millennial, but one of the things I remember watching you speak, which is fantastic, you 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 talk about there's a lot of myths of millennials and you kind of talk about some of the um, you know, just kind of like the the general blanket statements people say about millennials, but you found that there's sort of two groups of millennials. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Millennials are a huge generation. I think sometimes we underestimate how important millennials are. In the U.S., there's about 80 million millennials. And to separate kind of myth from fact and, and bust through all the stuff that are, you know, <laughs> boomer parents rolling their eyes, what's wrong with these kids? You know, the reality is millennials are the largest generation in the workforce. There are more of us working than any other generation, which is why they're so incredibly important to figure out whether you're a manager, an entrepreneur, a salesperson, any of those types of things. At the same time, millennials, who everybody thinks are broke and our pants are falling off, will actually outspend every other generation this year. Wow. And, you know, when, in our work, we work all around the world with, with companies that are, you know, just they cover every region of the world. And, and one of the things that we find that's really powerful is millennials are the most consistent generation in the world. So when I'm speaking in India or all throughout Latin America or all across Europe or you name it, as long as we're talking about millennials, there's tremendous consistency in terms of how the generation communicates, spends money, wants to work. Interesting. Really, really powerful due to cheap mobile technology. Um, but of course, you're going to see differences based on geography. And I know you have a big international audience. So 
as we think about millennials, what I want you to keep in mind is they're the most consistent generation in the world, but you will see differences based on geography, and that's due to work norms or other norms, even how people look at money, spending, using credit cards versus something like Venmo and so forth. So when we look at millennials, they're the best sneak peek, the best preview of the future. And so if you're a salesperson and you want to know how to sell, you've got to really study millennials because they're driving every major trend, including B2B. Most people don't know that. And at the same time, because they're the largest generation in the workforce, if you want to drive performance, you have to solve the challenge of how to recruit and retain this huge new generation because we are the ones disproportionately in the workforce. So it's this perfect storm of all the BuzzFeed headlines. You know, this generation's lazy and entitled and, you know, their mom shows up when they don't get a promotion. (laughs) And some of that is true, of course. And then also there's the flip side, which is millennials are creating tremendous wealth, starting their own businesses, doing all these amazing things. So I want to talk about that because... um so, so let's talk about leading millennials. First of all, you said that they're the largest uh, population in the workforce, which is I that's surprising. Like that, I didn't actually know that tidbit. I knew they were the largest spenders uh, in the you know like GDP and never uh, whatever that kind of stuff. But I did not realize that that we had overtaken the workforce already. So, if I'm leading millennials right now, what do I need to know? I mean, are they, you know, because that's what I feel like I hear all the time is, oh, they're lazy and they, you know, live at home with their parents and they're in a bunch of debt and they're, you know, chasing their life passion. Is, But I don't, like, I don't personally identify with that. Is, is that, how true is that and those stereotypes? Yeah, brilliant question. And it's the number one question we get from executives and managers. What we see with millennials and what we discovered at our research center, it's called the Center for Generational Kinetics, is that the millennial generation is splitting. It's breaking into two different generations. And some of you listening may have seen this on my TEDx talk or seen on some of our videos online. What we see is that one segment of the generation is doing everything we were told we were supposed to do, right? I'm a millennial. We were told to go to school. We went to school. We were told to get a job. We got a job. You told us to do all these things. We went in and we did them. But the thing is, no one wants to talk about us. You know, I just got off uh, a media interview right before we got on uh, this this podcast right here, and then I just got another media request while we've been sitting here, and what's fascinating is all of those media requests want to talk about millennials messing everything up, how millennials don't have their act together, yet we're the largest generation in the workforce. So you have one part of the generation who's just, we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing, and no one wants to talk about us, and I want to talk about how we lead them. Then you have another part of the generation that's not creating what we call real-world traction, and as the generation splits, I love this, it's one of the coolest things we We've discovered through our research is that the generation, for some reason, and we don't know why yet, we're trying to figure it out, for some reason around the age of 30, you self-select into one part of the generation or the other, like one who basically has their act together making it happen, the other one really struggling to create real-world traction, and this is the key thing. You Once a generation splits around the age of 30, you self-select into one part of the generation or the other, and then you can no longer relate to the other part of your own generation. And in fact, the most important part is the group most offended by millennials acting entitled are other millennials who do not feel entitled because <laughs> we think the rest of the generation is giving us a bad reputation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, so that is kind of fascinating. So, so basically you're saying th- that we don't all fit the stereotype. You're saying it's, we're splitting into two and have, is there another example of a generation that has had a, had such a, a like a tantamount split like that? 
Yeah, there's lots of examples around the world. In our work as researchers, we call this a dislocation, and that's where one generation breaks out. And and what we see is in some parts of, for example, in some parts of Asia, they have something called a lost generation, where a whole group never really got into the workforce in the way that they wanted, and you become conditioned, and then it becomes very hard to get back into it. We also see a dislocation around major events, such as war, people who go off to war and those who don't. So a lot of times it's a big macro event that has caused it. In this case, yes, there was a great recession that we frequently talk about, but really what it comes down to a lot of times is parenting. So parenting and local economy has a big impact on how people enter the world and how they become self-reliant along the way. Hmm. And so if you've been constantly saved from consequences, and I mean, look, this is my own family. I get to see this, right? It's, you know, who's paying for the car insurance? Who's paying for the gas card? Who's paying for these different kinds of things? People become conditioned. I mean, I think one of the most powerful pieces is the idea that you you have to do it every single day. It's not a one-time thing, right? And that's what we see here in terms of trajectories. So when we think about leading millennials in the workforce, really what it comes down to is a few things. The first is you've got to be able to recruit millennials who are the right fit. And recruiting today looks very different. We work with all these huge companies. This is a this is a big deal because a lot of our a lot of our clients, you know, they're recruiting salespeople specifically. And and you know, how do you recruit? I mean, this is this is a major pain point. So how do you attract not just millennials, right? The real question is how do you attract that that one part of the millennials that have split out that sort of self-identify with doing the work and you know getting back to the fundamentals and and you know doing what, what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to preface this by saying this has nothing to do with intelligence. That's what's fascinating. Like we, we see this sense of entitlement and this split between people who come from very wealthy families, very poor families, well-educated, not well-educated. It's not easy to put your finger on like people would assume. So when we look at recruiting, what we're trying to say is how do we get the people who will be the right fit, who, who will be successful in the position to want to apply and want to accept a job? So for example, in our analysis, we see we did a, a big study on this. Millennials frequently only read the first line of a job description. <laughs> wow. So all of a sudden it's like, well, that first line is really important. So now you've got to think about how do I want to introduce this position or our company before you can ever even sell them on the job and why it's a great opportunity. But if you if you know anything about Twitter and you go, hey, I, I, I grew up reading Twitter, it's like it's all whatever, 144 characters. That, make, that makes more sense in the context of thinking about their world. Yeah, everything's a headline to us, right? It, it, it's a text. And so we want to make sure we grab people's attention immediately with the right positioning. So you want to hit them up front with the right um, with the right headline initial sentence. At the same time, what we found is millennials have been frequently conditioned to skip blocks of text. So if you have a very text-heavy description of a job, they're not going to read it. But if you put bullet points on, all of a sudden they want to read it. It's really, really wild. And then the key... Same thing, content, just a formatting change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we literally have been conditioned to skip blocks of text on a screen or anywhere else. It's really powerful. And then what we see is that when you look at how millennials interact with content, what they most want to see on a recruiting page is a video. And they want to see a video of someone like them. And they want to see a video of somebody like them, not just talking about how great the company is, not not some like just pure propaganda video, but what it's really like to work there. Unexpected challenges, things that happened in the first year, something you never imagined that was going to happen that really shaped you. That's what we want to see. We want to bring the humanity up in terms of that description. And then here's the last piece to getting great people to apply is, is I always have to tell these big recruiters and, and all these CEOs, I'm like, look, you're not going to hire people on your application page. 
all we want them to do is reach out and say they might be a fit. So you really want to lower the threshold for them to make that initial contact, whether that's by email, by text, whatever it is. We want them to reach out and say, hey, I might be a fit. Let's have a conversation. Let's go through that process. And that way you get more good people in the funnel. And then we were big believers in top grading. So that's a, a great book, by the way, if you guys haven't read it, that really tells you how to interview to find people that have a history of success in the way that you need them to succeed in this position. One of the key things in sales, because I know you have all these great sales leaders, is millennials frequently right now struggle with adversity in sales, particularly in commission-based sales. So we see this, we work a lot in financial services and auto and all these different industries, insurance and so forth. Millennials need to see they're making progress during that ramp-up period where they may make no sales. Otherwise, they think they're failing because they may not condition as I'm making progress. So yeah, we uh, that makes sense. We I feel like we definitely we definitely see that, and we see that inside of South with the Southwestern family of companies. It's uh, you know you you have to feel like you're winning. It's one of the reasons we talk about putting your self esteem in your work habits, not your production, because that's something they have more more control over. Um, so so okay, so so they have to so basically they have to feel like they're winning if they're in some type of adversity. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the real key is and the magic is we go from recruiting the right people, determining through the interview process if they're the right fit. And really, this is the most important part. And it's where we spend a lot of time is the onboarding and orientation piece has to prepare them for success. A lot of millennials today, even with fancy degrees, do not necessarily know what it takes to be successful in a job. And so it's incumbent on an employer to say, look, I'm going to teach you the five or 10 things that I know are going to most impact you being able to succeed. The trade-off is, this is the key, we're not, we don't cater, we don't coddle, we don't save people, right? We're in this together. I'm going to give you every opportunity to succeed. But the trade-off is, I'm going to show you how to do it, but I'm then going to hold you accountable. And that's really where the magic is because you want to do both. Otherwise, if you're doing the job for them, we all know they're not the right fit. So that's where the orientation piece comes in. And here's kind of the last piece to tie in the recruiting. When we work with companies, you know, we're a research firms. So what does that mean? It means we do custom research, quantitative research, qualitative research. We do behavioral design. We have all these PhDs. We go on site. We look at all, all this kind of interesting data. And when we look at workforce data, and this is so important, we always tell the HR leaders, when you're looking at turnover, exclude the first month. And this is really, really important. Anybody who's ever heard me speak or seen my videos, I talk about this all the time. People who leave in the first month are mishires. That's not turnover. That's a recruiting and a hiring issue, not a management issue. And what happens is if you include it, it, you inflate turnover and then managers blame it on the recruiters. So the way you separate that out is you say, look, if people leave in the first month, that's hiring, that's not management. But after that first month, that's when we really want to look at retention and so forth. And there's a whole different set of strategies. You know, in my Why Size Your Business book, I talk about all the different ways to drive communication and retention and so forth. Because once you get people in and they're starting to move in the right direction, there's very specific things to do to keep them engaged and high-performing. And it has nothing to do with money and titles and trophies. Keep all your trophies, please. Trust me, we don't need any more trophies. <laughs> <laughs> for millennials, we got plenty of them, right? Instead, we need more feedback, constant communication, things like that, that really reinforce and drive the behaviors so then we can become self-reliant and successful in the workforce. So uh, the, you mentioned accountability, which makes sense. I mean, obviously, one-on-one -on -one accountability is what we're doing at Southwestern Consulting. It's it's a huge, hot b topic, and, and I think we're finding success with that kind of one-on-one -on -one accountability. Um, I want to talk about selling to the millennials, but before I do that, just really quick, because you, you hit it a couple times about pay, because this was something that I remember hearing you where I was like, wow, that's really different. So do millennials need to be the highest paid? Is it money that matters to them? Do we have to, do we have to be paying them six figures out of college if we want to get a good one? 
No. And in fact, if you overpay millennials, you bring out all the worst characteristics of the generation. What you want to do is you want to reward people of all generations appropriately for the value that they deliver and incentivize them to continue to do their best. And that can look a lot of different ways. So at our research firm, we have four generations who work in our office. And when people hit three years, they get what we call a -a make-a-wish, and they get $3,000 to put towards any experience they've ever dreamed about that they've always wanted to have. You can take a trip. You can take your family somewhere. You can do whatever you want. It's your money, but you have to put it towards an experience. And we find that millennials get super fired up about it, but so do baby boomers, and none of that has to do with the race. So when it comes to compensation, what millennials want to see, and this is really the key, is they want to see ongoing progress, and they want to see that they're paid fairly. Now, they may define fairly differently based on industry and position, but the idea is they don't want to be underpaid. In fact, we've done a whole bunch of studies on compensation, and if all you have to offer is pay, like think about this, if all you have to offer is pay, and they're really that good, somebody else will pay more money for them, and they will steal them. What we're trying to drive is an emotional connection to the culture, a logical connection to a sense of career. We want them to be inspired by you as a leader, and those are all things that don't take money. That's just knowing what to do and consistently doing it. And when you think about sales, it's the same kind of thing as we see so many people trying to sell to millennials and build loyalty and trust through couponing or discounts or this kind of savvy pricing, and it doesn't work. Because if you're trying to get somebody's sale by just slicing price down, 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 then not only are you losing margin and it's going to be harder for you to deliver well on your promise, at the same time, other people are going to compete in that space. Millennials, this is really wild. When we look at financial services and auto and homes, and we can list 10 other industries that we study, millennials frequently will pay more for a great buying experience and a great service experience consistently. I mean, it's this myth that millennials are walking around with coupons. How many millennials do you know that carry paper coupons? None, right? (laughs) About the same amount that carries cash. (laughs) So so what we do instead is we want to be rewarded for loyalty. We want that reward right up front. We want to have good engagement. We want a really personalized experience. So as we look at selling to millennials, it kind of flips now, and this is, this is really a key insight for those of you that, that have to bridge leading and selling. In the workforce, there's absolutely an expectation that millennials, and frankly every generation, should adapt to fit in that workforce in terms of how you want to lead and communicate. You're the boss, you're the manager, you're the leader. We should meet in the middle. That's reasonable. I'm going to bring in talent, you're going to bring in talent, and we're all going to move in the same direction. But on the flip side, when we look at selling and marketing, this is really the... Yeah, so I, I, want, to, I want to shift to selling. I mean, God, there's so much here going on with the leadership. It's huge. But I want to talk about selling and marketing to millennials. So let's turn the conversation there. Like if I'm out there and I'm whatever, selling a car or insurance or what do I need to know about their mindset in order to, to have a chance to influence them? Yeah, great question. And, and just so that everybody feels included in this, when we talk about selling and marketing, we'll have at our research center this year, we'll have about 200 clients. We have uh, 37 of the Fortune 500 as clients because all we study is the data and then we tell people how to apply it. So when you look at selling and marketing, we're looking at it not just in typical, uh, you know, cars, refrigerators, kind of these type of, of items, but we're also looking at it as healthcare. What does it mean to engage a patient effectively? We're looking at it as an insurance. We're looking at it in homes, apartments. I mean, uh, grocers today, you know, I just did this big media interview. They just want to know about the future retail. And we get everybody's data. And because we have everybody's data, we're able to decide what's really true and what sounds true but isn't. So let me give you an example of something. People always say in financial services and these industries you work in, oh, you got to be young to sell to millennials. Completely flat out false. In fact, the more expensive the item, like life insurance or investments, 
the more affluent millennials want to work with somebody older than them than somebody who's their own age. <laughs> and it, what it comes down to is this. In the workforce, there's an expectation we should move towards the people who employ us. Totally fair and reasonable. But in the marketplace, there's zero incentive for millennials to adapt to the communicator buy just because you like to message or sell in that way. None Zippo at all. Just because you like to advertise in the newspaper doesn't mean we're going to go get a newspaper <laughs> unless we're moving and we're using it for packing. So what do you need to know to reach us? The first is that when it comes to millennials as buyers, you have to recognize that they communicate differently. So where other generations may prefer to call you up on the phone or face-to-face -face conversation, millennials, that may be the third, fourth, or even fifth way they prefer to communicate. So have you done what you can to make it easy for them to engage you by text message, by social media, through your website, whatever that looks like to you, and given them the option to say, you know what, when I buy life insurance or when I buy whatever it is, I'd prefer to have some of those conversations by text message because it's less threatening to me, it's more comfortable, it's more normal. We teach car groups frequently, and we have you know, lots and lots of the biggest auto groups in the world, our clients, is we teach people how to sell using an iPad. Because if I put an iPad between you and me and I point at it to show you a video or talk to you about something, if you're a millennial, you'll actually talk more if you're looking at the screen than looking face-to-face -face at the person. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. But that makes sense. It's like I'm not... I'm not buying from a person. It's like I'm buying from the iPad, even though the person is sitting there driving the conversation. Yeah, we call it talking through a screen. And the reason is, if you start asking somebody, well, how much money do you have to spend? How do you want to finance this? Some of that can just be uncomfortable. But if we have something to look at that's not you know, each other, it can make it easier to have that conversation. And then once trust is built, then all of a sudden people want to talk and have eye contact. It's really fascinating. And we get to study this in lots of different ways. So the idea when we look at millennials is they want to communicate differently. At the same time, they're the number one, this is really key, the number one generation to refer their friends to a person or a business. So when we look at the value of millennials. So exciting. A oh, huge win. So they're the number one generation that says, I am willing to tell my friends that they should come buy from you. Now, we're not going to call them up, but we may post on Facebook or Instagram or any of those kinds of things. Even better. Yeah, right, because now we've got many to one, uh, you know, and that's really, really powerful in terms of, of driving referrals. At the same time, when we look at millennials, they also are weighing more heavily ratings and reviews because they want to see how other people have rated or reviewed you to help them determine, can they trust you? Do you keep your promises? What happens if something goes wrong? And I tell frequently these big brands, look, just because you don't have perfect ratings or reviews and you're all upset that you only have four out of five stars, like that's actually a good thing because if you had all five stars, nobody would believe you. But if you have four stars, it means you have some opportunities to show people how you will handle when there's a bad review, right? And so that's actually a chance to demonstrate your integrity, your ethics, what you stand for, based on how you respond when people don't have a great experience. Uh, some of our clients, as we've been able to show, actually drove sales from negative reviews based on how they actually responded, which is really wild. So adapting how you reach millennials, adapting how you sell millennials, and adapting how you present yourself, because... Like one of the secrets is to not call millennials millennials. <laughs> no millennial likes to be called a millennial because we think it's negative. But just being able to adapt to how people want to buy, all of a sudden you can grow your sales. And everything that we teach and study is measurable. Because in our world, if you can't measure it, then I don't know if it worked. And I will take data over a cute story every single day because data actually drives decisions and decisions drive results. So I knew this would happen. We're out of time. I'm through a third of the questions that I have for you. Um, there is one more question I'm going to ask you because I want to talk about Gen Z before I let you get away because it's just we're going to talk about that. Before, before we do, where should people go to learn about you or uh, Center for Generational Kinetics? Like where, where would you point people to? 
Sure. If you just want to download really cool free research, you don't have to sign up for anything. You can just download our latest studies with all the information. You can go to the center's website, which is genhq.com. That's G-E-N-H-Q.com. And our new Gen Z studies right there. You can download the whole study, see all the cool insights and just how dramatically different Gen Z is from millennials. And then if you're interested in me speaking, or frankly, you just want to watch a video of me speaking, uh, we've got tons of them on my website, which is Jason Dorsey. Dot com. So feel free to check that out and share it. They're, they're pretty funny. <laughs> Hilarious and, and very insightful. And uh, Jason's one of the busiest, if not the busiest speaking uh, speaker, maybe in the world. We talked about that. And uh, so anyways, we'll put links to that in the show notes. Um, there's a whole bunch of strategy stuff I wanted to talk to you about. We're not going to have time to get to it. So we'll have to bring you back. Um, we'll bring you back later. Um, the the last little question is Gen Z. So we've been talking about millennials here, and I'm sitting here going, oh, crap. I got to, like, Southwestern Consulting, I'm thinking there's a lot we still have to do to be hitting and, and reaching millennials the right way, both in the recruiting side and I think also on the, se- the selling side. But then, you know, you just did, I think you were the first person to do a TED Talk on Gen Z, and I saw that the center was front page Washington Post uh, with Denise was was the lead in that story on Gen Z, and now it's like, oh my gosh, we don't even have millennials mastered. Gen Z is coming. So can you quickly, like 120 seconds, tell us everything that we need to know in 120 seconds about uh, who who is Gen Z and what is some of the, obviously you guys are doing very, very early research with them, um, but you guys are kind of, you're on the cutting edge there. So what, what are some of the things that we need to know or that you're seeing that are maybe surprising about the next generation? Yeah, great question. So the the short answer on Gen Z is Gen Z is very different than millennials. And the reason our company has grown so fast is because many people thought millennials were going to grow out of it, right, and be like everybody else. Well, it didn't happen. And now they've come to us, these big brands, and said, look, we totally, totally whiffed on millennials, totally missed on that. How do we not do that with Gen Z? So in our research, what we're trying to figure out is what is true about this next generation. And for quick clarity, Gen Z is about age 21, 22 and under currently. No, they're going to continue to get older. You know, sometimes people jokingly say, well, what happens when Gen Z gets old and becomes a millennial? It doesn't work like that, okay? (laughs) Whatever generation you're in is the one you're in. They may change names, but it's still the same generation. So with Gen Z, three quick things to know about from our national study on Gen Z. You can download the whole thing on our website for free. Three quick things that just jump out that everybody needs to know, whether you're an employer, whether you're in sales and marketing, frankly, whether you're just a a parent of a Gen Z or I happen to have a six-year-old daughter. So three quick things to know. Number one, Gen Z is entering the workforce with lower expectations than millennials. They think it's going to take them longer to get promoted, they're going to get paid less, and they're going to have to really earn their stripes in the workforce. That's a little bit refreshing. It's, it's a good thing. It's, it's actually great for Gen Z. Uh, it's great for Gen Z's parents, you know, like me, very excited about that. Uh, it's great for employers, terrible for millennials. Because <laughs> who gets promoted? The, the Gen Z who says, hey, I'll take whatever job you have, just give me a chance. That's going to be a big wake-up call. Yep. Or the millennial who's like, hey, I've been here a month. Where's my promotion? (laughs) So it's going to be really interesting to see that play out. We think that over the next five years, uh, a percentage of Gen Z will leapfrog millennials at work. We'll see how that plays out. Really exciting work in our area. The second thing we found is that Gen Z uh, is much more frugal with their money. In fact, Gen Z in our new national study saves or earns the exact same amount of their spending money as millennials do, and millennials are 10 years older on average. Really, really wild. And then the third is that Gen Z right now is intentionally choosing to attend less expensive colleges and universities to graduate with less college debt. And college debt has been a massive economic anchor for millennials, and Gen Z is saying, I want no part of that. Because remember, 
Gen Z was old enough to see the Great Recession, but young enough that they avoided it, yet they saw it, they remember it, and they said, look, at the end of the day, we don't want to end up like millennials, which was one of the most profound conclusions from our national study. This is the second one that we've done ourselves just on Gen Z internally, and we have a whole bunch going on right now that we're leading in um, Europe, we're leading one in Australia, all throughout North America. So Gen Z, we believe, is going to be the driver of massive, massive change across the workforce, across the marketplace. Uh, and for parents of Gen Z, good news is we're going to come out okay, and they might actually be able to take care of us. So so good work. <laughs> wow. So, and they're 21, 22 years old, so we may only have four or five years before this is this is in. So there you have Jason Dorsey. Uh, we'll put links to jasondorsey.com and genhq.com where you can get, you said you can just download that study on, on Gen Z and look at it. Um, really compelling stuff. Well, man, I, uh, I I admire the way that you are out there in the, fronting, the, 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 the front leading cutting edge, and uh, you're obviously respected by massive, massive brands, and I think everybody can see why. So Thank you for your work, and uh, thank you and Denise for your, your tremendous friendship. Thank you, and thanks to everybody for listening. Really grateful. I'm appreciative of your time, so thanks so much. Wow, really, really fascinating stuff there. Which, and the, the thing that I love about the Center for Generational Connections and Jason is it's, it's so informed by data. You know, they do all of these... Uh, these national studies that and they, they have their team of PhDs and and they're actually going out and looking at real data and um, but and you see just such a whirlwind of information there's so much to share and and, and to teach and to, to inform our business strategy there's so much data that they have their hands on both that they do for for their own studies but then also for all of their clients that it it there's just a tremendous amount of insight to inform business and so I think uh, I wanted to try to boil it down. These are just the, my five biggest takeaways as I was thinking about millennials and what I've learned from Jason both, you know, today and then I've I've had a chance to to see him speak a couple times and 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 digest some of this and have a little bit of time. And so these are sort of the five biggest things that uh, I'm taking away and trying to put into action. Um, so number one. I was it really spoke to me when he said accountability accountability that when you give millennials accountability they they need to see and feel like they're making progress and we always think about accountability as oh you're not doing enough oh you need to get to work but uh, part of accountability is also encouragement and coaching along the way and telling telling them hey you're being successful here and you're being successful there and that's when we do coaching that is what we do right it's it's there's there's two parts of it one part of it is challenging you to get to the next level challenging you to do what you said you're going to do holding you accountable to doing the work it takes to hit your goals but the other part of it is cheering you on and championing you and and letting you know like look even if the results haven't showed up if you're putting in the work the work is what matters. The work is what matters. And sometimes we need somebody there. We, we desperately rely on having somebody there to tell us the work is what matters. And it was empowering and surprising somewhat for me to hear from Jason that that is a core part of keeping, of retaining millennials. And you know, maybe that makes sense why uh, our coaching business is growing so fast because not every manager has as much time as they want. And so we help do that a lot for companies when we're, when we're coaching their people, right? We're helping them, reminding them that they're being successful, even though if they're not seeing the results yet, it's because the work 
is what you sow, and then you have to harvest the results later, and it takes some time. There's a little lag there, and for millennials who are perhaps used to a uh, everything instantaneously delivered to them, whether it's food, food or communication or transportation or whatever, um, they're not used to having sort of that, that that waiting factor. And so accountability is huge, not because they're all lazy, um, but because they need to feel successful. And part of your job as a leader is to, is to make sure they know they're doing the right things that are going to lead to results. And um, that was really, really huge. Um, number two, careful with the stereotypes. Be careful with the stereotypes. I mean, I, I am, here I am a millennial, right? That was, that was sort of news to me. I guess I, I knew I was on the cusp, or I thought I was on the cusp, but according to um, Jason, you know, the generations are not defined by years. They're defined by historical events, and two th- uh, you know, 9-11 was the defining event of our generation, which of course I very vividly remember. I was in college at the time of 9-11. And, um, you know, so here I am myself kind of finding, oh, wow, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a millennial. I've, I've always more identified, I think, with uh, Gen X, but really I'm not because I, 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 I do a lot. I mean, I'm very tech, you know, oriented. I'm, I'm t- not, uh, one of the things that I've heard Jason say in his speech is he says, millennials are not tech savvy. They are tech dependent. Millennials are not tech savvy. They are tech dependent. He didn't say that today, but I've heard him say that. And, and I'm tech dependent, right? It's like, I can't survive without, I mean, this whole podcast and, and blogging and social media and everything revolves around my laptop and my phone. Not that I'm on my phone all the time, but I couldn't, do business without our CRM. I couldn't really do business without, uh, you know, we use social media as a way of disseminating our information. So, you know, careful with the stereotypes. And it was powerful, right, to hear him talk about the splitting into uh, these sort of two classes, um, the, the millennial generation splitting, which makes sense because, you know, at some point, no matter what you're raised with, what your mentality is when you come into a workforce that operates in a completely different mode from you, you either adapt and you say, okay, I'm going to get on board and you're going to innovate. Sure. I think that's one of the things that's so great about millennials is we're, we're innovative. We're, we're very creative, uh, right. We're problem solvers. Um, we're very team oriented versus, uh, well, I mean, in, in some ways we like to serve missions. Um, and although I guess you could say with our Facebook culture, there's a lot of individuality going on also. But the point being that there, there is, at least according to Jason here, at least half of this generation that is hardworking and dedicated and committed and resilient and, and has integrity and is disciplined. And, you know, that's powerful. I mean, I guess being here, realizing that I'm a millennial and, you know, everything that we're talking about is uh, goals and self-discipline and overcoming procrastination. I mean, that makes sense, right? I very clearly am in that group, um, as well as there's a lot of millennials at Southwestern Consulting, a huge part of our senior leadership team. Uh, now I'm realizing that qualifies as, as millennials. And and we're all very much about putting your self-esteem into your work habits, not your production. Master, you know, being brilliant at the at the basics, focusing on the fundamentals, and that that's what drives success. And And perhaps that's why Southwestern Consulting, another reason why we're growing so fast is because we're sort of like that adaptive millennial group um, 
probably largely because of our influence at Southwestern Advantage. So many of us came from that background selling, um, you know, educational children's reference materials when we were in college, and we sort of got indoctrinated with those principles that are timeless. And and so we were all indoctrinated under that, and we have adapted. And so it's like we're a team of millennials operating um, – in this world, which has, has been really, you know, we're very fast moving and dynamic, but we're also really into the fundamentals and really into the basics. And that's probably why so many of the, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, they hire us to come in because they know we're sort of young and fresh and hip, but we're also very much about get to work and focus on the fundamentals and, and holding you accountable. So careful with the stereotypes. That was number two. That was, that was the big thing for me is going, yeah, gosh, like, uh, they're, we're not all entitled and lazy and living at home with our parents. Like there's a group of, of hustlers, Jason being one of them. I mean, here you have a guy that is under 40 years old that is on a public board, um, of a public company. And you know, that's pretty unusual. So, um, anyway, so careful with the stereotypes. Number three, expect them to meet you halfway in the office, but don't expect them to meet you halfway in the marketplace. That was a powerful insight for me, not one that I'd ever had before listening to Jason, but a powerful. Expect them to meet you halfway in the office, but not halfway in the marketplace. In other words, when you're leading them, yeah, they're on your territory. They kind of have to adapt. And it's, you know, again, talking about this splitting of generations, they, they sort of have to, to, to ad- adapt somewhat to the culture of your workplace. And uh, it's not wise to expect them to adapt completely, so you need to sort of work on becoming more millennial-friendly. But in the marketplace, man, there's no forgiveness, right? If you're selling to them or you're advertising to them, they don't give a hoot about what you've ever done or how you've positioned your company in the past. You have to go to their style to sell them, um, which reminds me very much of uh, one of our business partner, Dustin Hillis, and then Steve Reiner. They wrote the book Navigate. We had them on uh, Navigate 2.0, the book's called. We had them on several months ago, in fact, probably almost a year ago, uh, talking about the four behavioral s- types, which is sort of different, but the subtitle of Navigate 2.0 is selling the way people like to buy. And I think that very much fits here with what Jason is saying, that when you're selling to them, you have to go to, the, you cannot expect them to meet you halfway. When you're leading them, sure, they need to adapt a little bit, but when you're selling to them, man, you better get on their wavelength and you better adapt your company's practices, you know, lest you become the blockbuster video uh, or Kodak film that, you know, went extinct really dang quickly. And so a couple of the highlights I thought from him on this, you know, adapting your, your philosophies. Um, these are, these are more not philosophies I find this interesting is it's more like, we're not really adapting our principles here, but we're adapting some of our practices, um, to, to be quick in your marketing headlines, right? Like that, when he was saying that, that job, um, the job posting, they read the first line, right? So you, your first line better not say, uh, you know, we've been established since whatever year, right? Like they don't care. You missed it. You missed it. You missed your chance. So you better be quick in your marketing headlines. Also be fair in your compensation. That was the, uh, the other thing is just be fair. I thought that was interesting to go, okay, there is some millennials are entitled, but they're very interested in fairness and be mission driven more than money driven. And I think that's also very true. Uh, you know, I look about our, again, using Southwestern Consulting, both our clients and our team as an example, 
we all started this business, you know, like we bootstrapped it. I mean, we had, of course, that the partnership of Southwestern, but we didn't have billions of dollars of capital that we were pumping into this. We, we built this business out of the revenues that we generated and we reinvested and grew and grew and grew and grew out of sales, not out of, you know, just this, this, this pump of this flux of capital. Uh, and in fact, ever since 2009, we've basically self-funded completely. Um, and I say all that to say that many of us did not make great incomes when we started this business. We started at uh, on straight. I mean, we're all we're all on straight commission now. Uh, we're all completely paid per performance now. Uh, now the numbers have gotten a lot bigger, and so it's a lot. It's a very lucrative career to be involved at Southwestern Consulting once you've been around for a while. But we all started because we were driven by the mission of helping people achieve their goals in life and elevating the perception of what it means to be a salesperson and elevating, of course, the practice of sales. And we were driven by that more than the money. And that's, you know, just, again, I'm just spitballing here and it's dawning on me as I'm in, uh, I guess, digesting Jason's insights that the leadership team, this many of much of the senior leadership team of Southwestern Consulting is millennial, and we're living up to some of these things. I mean, we we were all about the mission. We're still all about the mission. I mean, that's the cool thing is even when you're making a lot of money, you still work just as hard because you're not driven by the money. If you're motivated by money, when you make money, you stop working. When you're motivated by the mission, you make money, you just keep working, right? You keep reinvesting. And that's very much what we're interested in doing and and I think who who we are as a culture Absolutely, for sure. So expect them to meet you halfway in the office, but not in the marketplace. Number four, you need to adapt your communication style. You need to adapt your communication style. Again, I kind of think of Navigate 2.0 in that book and that whole interview with Dustin and Steve, which you should go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it, because um, that is is really relevant here, uh, too, even though it's a little bit of a different sort of... Um, you know, we're talking about generations rather than the four different behavioral profiles. But, um, you know, when Jason was talking, it was like when you're communicating with millennials, whether you're leading them or selling them, you have to be willing to be multimedia in your communication, right? If just because you're used to in-person meetings, you might have to be okay with talking to them over text message and engaging with them on social. And specifically, if you're recruiting millennials, which we all are because they are the biggest generation in the workforce, we have to be recruiting friendly on social media. Your company has to be findable. And it can't be that you posted, your last post was December of 2013, right? They have to see that you're you're relevant, that you're there, that you're communicating. And there has to be a way for them to get a hold of you and, and communicate with you. You can't just rely on them going to your website. You have to have a presence on social because that's where they live. That's they, I keep saying they, that's where we live. I'm a millennial. <laughs> um, we have to be recruiting friendly on social and on the web. And I thought he had some great tips there about what the way your video should be structured and you know don't have all these criteria. Just, just get them to apply and open a conversation with them. But then also be adaptive and you have to adapt your communication when it comes to selling. And that was sort of fascinating me to me, the idea of using the iPad to sell if you're dealing with a millennial because it takes some of the pressure off because what is more uncomfortable for a millennial is talking to a human face-to-face, right? Like that is not, we're not traditionally as skilled in that area. We don't have as much experience in that. We're more comfortable working with the screen. So if you're, now if you sell, person to person, like in person, which is still, you know, the best way to sell 
it might help to have an iPad to show a video or to have your agreement on an iPad. So I, I, I thought that was a very subtle shift, a, a nice kind of uh, uh, important insight of how to integrate this research and data, um, but also you know to apply it directly to sales. So be multimedia in your presentation, be multimedium in your communication uh, outlets. And then number five, the last thing is be prepared for massive change because Gen Z is coming. And I've been interested just to see what the, the center and what Denise and Jason are saying because it's like, whoa, they might leapfrog millennials or some of the millennials. That is huge. I mean, um, and you know, it was like my mind is blown talking about millennials. And then I start thinking about Gen Z and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to process this. But but what it means is it means the world is changing in the next five to seven years again. And it's going to change dramatically, which means there's a huge opportunity, right? There's the the the, the people who are are again, listening to podcasts like this, staying in touch, learning in coaching, in personal development, there's a massive opportunity here for you to capture that change because anytime there's massive disruption, there's massive opportunity, but it also means there's a huge threat that if you're stagnant, if you're not learning, if you're not growing, if you're stuck in the ways of just doing things always the way you've always done them just because you've always done them that way, you're at the risk of going extinct. You are. You are at the risk of extinction. But I'm preaching to the choir here because you, as a faithful listener of the Action Callus podcast and uh, hopefully somebody in the Southwestern Consulting community of our various blogs and things, you're a learner and you're a, a, a grower and an improver and a developer and a world, a world changer and what we like to say, a mover and shaker in the world of business. And we will continue to bring you insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst, and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.